1110 and 99.3 WBT. Day something of the Alec Murdoch murder trial in uh, Colleton County, South Carolina. And uh, as we have done before, uh, we have turned to Matt Harris. He's our colleague down the hall there at 107.9, Mix 107.9 with Matt Ramona Show. And uh, also the co-host of a podcast, Impact of Influence, with his uh, co-host partner, Seton, I want to say Hall, Tucker. I always want to say Hall. Seton Hall. Gosh, that's... <laughs> well, welcome back, Matt. Uh, and by the way, you're going to be doing some fill-in work. Tell uh, folks uh, what that's about. Thursday and Friday night, filling in from uh, 7 to 8 on WBT. All right. Is this... It's all Murdoch all the time. There you go. So, uh, all right. So, uh, and so I appreciate, again, you, you coming on and doing these regular hits as time allows. And I know because, like, the trial schedule kind of gets jumbled around a lot. So let's start with... Uh, we'll start with yesterday's um, testimony. I thought this was really important. Uh, Shelly Smith, this is the caregiver for Alec Murdoch's mom, uh, and she has late-stage Alzheimer's. Okay, so uh, you saw this testimony. You know this story. What were your takeaways from the caregiver's uh, testimony? Well, one thing uh, for sure is uh, it was seen with in the courthouse. I was watching it on TV, but she said the jurors were totally leaning in Mm. And totally, totally invested in her testimony, and and so was Seaton, and so was I as we were watching. But the, the jurors were really into it. Uh, one of the big ones was that she said basically Alex was trying to convince her he was there longer than she said he was. So she was saying that he he was she was there. He, uh, Alex was there fifteen to twenty minutes. At one point, she said 25 in one of the interviews. And Alec, when he saw her, was like, I was here 30 to 40 minutes, remember? Remember, I was here 30 to 40 minutes. And uh, that was important that he was trying to force that timeline on her, or so she believed. And she also said, as he was mentioning the timeline, he's also saying, oh, I hear you're getting married. There's expensive. I bet I can help you out with that. I also have a friend that works at the school district. Maybe you have to get a better job at the school than the one you have. So that was all pretty, pretty condemning stuff of Alec Murdoch uh, trying to influence the impact of influence who I worked it in. Ah, there you uh, go. Whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole uh, timeline thing. That was the big one. Uh, all right. So, yeah. L- 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 all right. Hang on. Let, uh, okay. Let's focus on that for a second. So for the right. 15, 20 minutes now. She has given, this This nurse has given different times yeah. in all these different interviews. It sounds like she sat for like half a dozen different interviews with law enforcement and then the defense investigators. And she, and the, the, the timeline that she has given, it keeps changing. And it's, it's five or ten minutes on either side. But that's going to be a pretty big gap because the prosecution is outlining that Murdoch, you know, did the murders in a very, in a very small window. So if it gets too far out uh, of that timeline, right, that, that might pose a problem. But I, thought, I think while she was really sympathetic, you could tell she did not want to be there. You could tell she started crying on the stand. Everybody was wrapped watching it. But I wonder, did she contradict herself too many times that now they, they, can't, they can't believe what timeline she told them and what it, during which interview? Well, I, I, that, that I thought was very important, too. The problem was... The defense, I'm sure, felt it couldn't be very aggressive with her. Yes. Because she was so 
emotionally involved, and the jury obviously liked her. Right. So for them to pound her, like, but you said a different time this time. You said it, they didn't do that because I felt, I'm sure they thought, well, this, that's gonna, I'm going to lose more than I win on that one. Right. They can come back at closing arguments and hammer away at the timeline, not at her. But they did get her on the record in each of these different interviews and said, you said 30 to 40 minutes or 25, 30 minutes. Is it, what about when you walk to the door? You said that took five minutes. And so like her, the, her, yeah. her idea of the times, I think, is, is suspect, to say the least. Um, and I know what I was, uh, the way I would think about it, but not everybody does, I would take the emotion out of it, I think, about how could someone who didn't know an event was happening, right? Right. It's a normal day. How do they really know 20 minutes or 25 minutes or 30 minutes when there's no reason to be paying attention to how long it is? Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely, right. And the only thing that I thought they would try to work in was that she was watching some game show and they could try to peg it to the game show times or something, that he was there. Like, did they interact? Like, what was on TV? There was a game show. Did somebody win? Did he make a comment about it? That would give us an idea of the timing, but they nobody pursued that line. Um, but I think the... And you mentioned the second part of this, which was a couple days later where they're alone at the back at, at his mom's house and Alec comes in and says to her, oh, I hear you're getting married. Those are expensive. Weddings are expensive. Maybe I can help you out. And then he also raises this question of the um, uh, the, the the principal at the school. I know the principal. Maybe get you a better job kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And he never comes out and says, do this for me. Right? He's smarter than that. He's never going to say quid pro quo on any of this stuff. But the thing that got me was... She called her brother when he told her I was only here 30, 40 minutes. Remember, I was here 30 minutes. She calls her brother, who is an, a deputy chief of police at a nearby town. And yes. she said to him, I, I was nervous. Nobody asked. Nobody asked her. Why were you nervous? Right. Why? why? Like, I don't understand why they didn't ask that. Yeah, they, like, why didn't, why didn't they even ask? They just said that you told your brother, but they didn't say, like, why was it important for you to tell your brother? Right. They just kind of let it hang there. and Maybe that's because you don't want to ask a question you don't know the answer to. Right. All right, so let's go to the, uh, let's go to the tarp. Tarp or uh, rain jacket? What's One that? A little mini thing about the timeline. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why he forced the issue because he probably just didn't do the math on it, but I did the math on it, and he could have been there for 23 minutes, and the timeline still would have held up. Oh, Okay. That's some, that's some good math in right there. Good job. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. Tarp or rain jacket? What do you think it was? Uh, she says she saw Alec Murdoch come in a couple days after the murders. He had some sort of blue vinyl-like uh, uh, material all balled up in his hand. He came in and he went upstairs. And she didn't tell anybody this until months later she gets into a car accident. She's chatting on the side of the road with the responding officer. And she says, hey, I saw him come in a couple days later. He went upstairs. Well, that cop tells Sled. Sled shows up and now is interviewing her. She says that, yeah, this is what happened. They then go to the house, go upstairs, search the place, and find a uh, uh, a blue rain jacket. All right, so now they send it off to the lab. They test it, comes back with gunshot residue on the inside. Now this is the big evidence, right? This is actual physical evidence. All right, so what did she see? Was it a blue tarp or was it that rain, uh, rain jacket? Well, and here's the, the, the other question, right? They did find a tarp. Right! Yeah, they they found a tarp that was more hidden than the rain jacket was. The rain jacket was hanging where you hang a rain jacket. The blue tarp was in a closet upstairs, and she said she's only been upstairs twice. Since I thought the day. jacket was upstairs. The jacket was upstairs, but like on a hanger, like it wasn't like it was uh, oh. 
on, like I, it was hung up. Yeah. Uh, where the tarp was folded up inside a bin on like a top shelf of a closet. So, and they didn't test that. And I granted, you know, if there was gunshot residue, the only way it could be there, if he was maybe, I don't know how, if he was transporting one of the long guns wrapped up in that blue tarp, maybe it's something off, but they didn't even test it. Now the raincoat, there was no blood on it. Right. Right. And uh, there was gunshot residue. And this was in September. So that's a lot of months for him to put a raincoat there. You know, they want to pitch that. Um, and he's a big guy. So the, the idea was this big ring, like smock or whatever, poncho. Yeah. Looked like a big tarp. But she was kind of firm, I thought, when Griffin pulled out a blue tarp, the defense attorney. She's like, yeah, yeah, that was it kind of thing. Yeah, well, all she would testify, and this was, she seemed to be easily confused by the lawyers, um, and, to, and 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 that's what they're trying to do, obviously, to create the reasonable doubt. I get it, and so, but it seemed like all she was really ever agreeing to and confident of was that she saw this blue material that looked like a. Tar- she ca- she kept calling it a tart as well, not a tarp, but a tart. Yeah, yeah. So she kept calling it tart, and she, and he was carrying it in his hands, all balled up in his hands. So she's not saying. I know it's the jacket or I know it's the tarp. She's just saying, I know that he was carrying something that looked like either one of those things. That's what I got from her. Yes. And, and, uh, when Griffin said like, well, was there like a shovel handle sticking out or right. like that? She's like, no. Uh, so how, I mean, it's a long gun to be bundled up. That leaves some doubt. Right. Right. And the fact that it was three months later, leaves some doubt. Um, and, and why, Again, you've said it before, just because you're a bad criminal doesn't mean you're innocent. But I would say, like, three months later, he decides to take the poncho he used at the murder scene and hang it up at his mom's house. Right. What is so special about this rain jacket that he's got to keep it? Right. I, yeah, that like you threw away everything else, but not that. Right. That that was because, like, if it, yeah, if it was the use and it was on the inside. So, you know, you could say, well, he put it on inside out. Or he forgot. When you take off a parka, you could just take it off and it turns inside out. And the defense, of they, when they get into it, they can easily say, the guy hunted in Moselle forever. Right. You know, not a surprise that probably 80% of the people down there have a raincoat with gunshot residue on it. Right. And Dick Harputley, one of the defense attorneys, has already uh, said as much uh, on another matter. So the, uh, what was the other? Th- oh, the... Um, uh, the financials. So they're all coming in. We went over the financial stuff because all of this stuff was already heard. All these witnesses had testified outside the presence of the jury. And then the judge, I guess this was the big news yesterday, right? The judge said it can all come in. This financial stuff comes in. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And he also let the raincoat in today. Oh, and he let the raincoat in today. All right. Well, so yeah, there you go. They wanted, they wanted to dump the raincoat because she said it was a tarp. Why are we bringing the raincoat in? You know, it's just side note. I'm going maybe off target, but I don't know if we've talked about this, but the fact that Sled did not go to the mom's house to search the place the night of the murders, the day after the murders, the next day after the murders. Right. But that was his alibi. Right. Why would you not go? If he's in the circle, as they said, why wouldn't you go to where he says he was? Right. Makes no sense. She also talked about him driving a, a white truck and coming back in a black truck. Yeah. And maybe he took a uh, ATV, but then defense is like, well, the ATV had a flat tire. So, you know, it was, it was, I don't know where that's going to go somewhere Right, else. and always keep in mind, you got lawyers that are deflecting. They're, they want to throw stuff out there to get the other guys to focus on stuff that might not actually be 
really important at all. So red well, herrings. And stuff. Absolutely. All right, uh, Matt. I appreciate it as always. Thank we'll you. talk with you tomorrow. He's the morning co-host of the Matt and Ramona Show on Mix One Hundred Seven Nine, our sister station. He's also been uh, producing. Uh, and hosting a podcast on the Murdoch cases with Seton Tucker. The name of that podcast is Impact of Influence, available on all major podcasting platforms. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. All right, so I have some audio here from yesterday's Murdoch trial. Uh, very compelling. As you heard, we, t- uh, we talked with Matt Harris about this witness. Her name is... I think it's Michelle. She goes by Shelly Smith. Michelle. Michelle Smith, but she goes by Shelly. She was a caregiver for Alec Murdoch's mom. Alex Mur- uh, Murdoch's mom, her name is, uh, they call her Miss Libby. And uh, she has late stage Alzheimer's. And the caregiver was the alibi for Alex Murdoch. She would have to be the alibi to say that he showed up at that house, right? He needed, if, if he did it, if he killed his wife and kid in June, on June 7th, 2021, if he did that, his alibi was that he left the property, drove to uh, Almeida is where the, the mom is in this house and drove there, got into the house, hung around there for like 30 to 45 minutes, then got back in the car and drove home and discovered the body, uh, bodies. So that caregiver is his alibi. She worked at the local school during the day. I don't know what she did. But then she would do an 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. shift overnight at Miss Libby's house. So she was working two jobs. She testified that Murdoch came to the house sometime between the hours of 8.30, 9 o'clock, or 9.30. She doesn't really know. It's like 8.30, 9, 9.30. And you're going to hear in her delivery she was difficult to understand at times due to her speech patterns also she spoke very quietly so the judge was having to you know keep reminding her speak up was it unusual to see alex murdoch at that residence that time of night yes on my shift yes and that's the only shift you'd work yes so the 8 p.m. to the 8 a.m. shift, it was unusual to see Alex Murdoch there visiting, correct? Correct, yes. Have you ever been over there before that time of night? I think different off and on. It all depends. When he got there, can you tell the jury um, what happened? He called the house and told me he was outside. He called the house. Mm-hmm. Yes. What what phone did he call? It's a terrible question. I mean, was it your phone, the house phone? The house not, phone. The house phone. Okay. And when you answered the house phone, uh, what did he say? He was outside. He let him in. He was at the house. Yes. Right outside the house. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he called you. Yes. And he said, "Let me in." Mm-hmm. Yes. And after he called you. Um, how long did it take you to go open the door to let him in? About five, about five minutes. So he was right there mm-hmm. at the house? Yes. All right, so why is that important? She gives out the five-minute number there, which the defense then tacked on to her, her claim that he was there 15 to 20 minutes. But she also said it was odd that he showed up at that time of night. He had not 
that's that was unusual for him to do. It's also unusual that he called her and said, hey, I'm outside. Because he was making a lot of phone calls on the ride to the mom's house and then the ride back, right? And the prosecutors are saying that's because he was trying to build this alibi. Look at me. I'm on the phone making all these phone calls. Of course, he then deleted the call log off of his phone, not realizing they could reconstruct a lot of that off of Maggie's phone. Let me get Tara on. Hello, Tara. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hello, Pete. Hey. So I listen to a lot of different, one of the top ones I like is Nancy Grace's. Some people love her, hate her, whatever. There's a lot of them. The first time they interviewed her, they were talking about all this confusion about, she said, once 30 minutes, once 20 minutes. She's scared to death of him. And he was not in jail the first time she was interviewed. You can hear she loves that family. She works as a um, lunch lady. She's okay. in the cafeteria, which is not easy in the school. And then, she, I mean, she works two full-time jobs. Right. She's scared to death. So the first time she was interviewed, she might have bummed a little bit or said something. But I think she's been the best witness so far. So, Incredible. yeah, so I think so. I think there is some... I, I had the question, too, like I'm watching her crying and I've got the other piece of uh, audio I'm going to play it after the break here where, uh, you know, she's she breaks down crying uh, because he told her to say something. And she said that that came several days later when he told her to say I was here 30, 40 minutes. But she also said he never told me to tell anybody that he just came and said it to me and. That was concerning, though. She she was concerned enough to call her brother, and that, to me, that, is important. Well, that, to me, is important, too, because there's been two murders. Right. And now she, he's at the house, and people are confused. He was there two times, once the night of the murder. Right. And then a few days later, but she he came up to her at his dad's funeral. Funeral. He was not in, you know, incarcerated, in, in jail. And just reminded her, you know, I was there. She's scared of him. You can you can tell that on. Uh, well, she called him a good person. She called him a good person yesterday. Yeah. The jury's not going to like the way the defense is treating her. Yeah, maybe not. Hey, Tara, I got to run. I appreciate the call. Bye. All right, thanks. Yeah, like I, I don't know. look. I make no predictions. You know me. I'm not making any predictions. Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete Callender. This is the show. Thanks for hanging out. So Shelly Smith is the caregiver for Alex, Alec Murdoch's mom, who has late-stage Alzheimer's. She's also the prime alibi for Alec Murdoch in the double murder case. She testified that on the night of the murders that Alec came to the house And he stayed in the room for about 15 to 20 minutes and that he was on his phone. Solicitor Randolph Murdoch, his father, had passed away earlier or had been gotten a couple days later. Actually, he'd gone into the hospital earlier that day. He passed away several days later, uh, but he was terminal. He was not doing well. And so that's the that was the the reason why Alex said he was going to see his mom was because Dad got put in the hospital. Now, Alec came out in court today. 
Alec did not leave work the day his dad got put to the hospital. He stayed at work. He did not he did not leave work to go to the hospital. Anyway, the family held a so after he passes away a few days afterwards after the murder, the double murders as well. The uh, the family held a repast they called it or a visitation. And Shelley Smith says the caregiver she says that she stayed in the bedroom mainly with Miss Libby. She testified that Alec Murdoch came into the room then. He came in the room, you know. Can you speak up, please, ma'am? He came in the room and speak that, you know, spoke like he always do. Okay. And, and what did he tell you? And she's struggling now. That he was sitting at the house. He was at the house. Say it again. He was at the house. I'm not 100% following you. He was telling you or saying to you that he was at the house? Mm-hmm. When? Um, the night of the murders. The, the night. night of the murders? Yes. What was he telling you about that he was at the house the night of the murders? That he'd been there 30 to 40 minutes. Was he telling you that? Did he ask you anything about that when he was talking to you? <laughs> Yes. Did he indicate to you what he wanted you to do with that information? No. No. no what sir. did he say? He just said that he was at the house for 34 minutes, I said. You said what? Was he there 30 or 40 minutes that night? Not to my recall. Why are you crying, Because it's a good fam, a good family, and I love working here. And I'm sorry all this happened. Get good people, you know. But he wasn't there no thirty or forty minutes, was he? No, no. Can't leave the witness. Did that did that conversation upset you? Somewhat. You upset right now? Yes. Did you call anybody about it? My brother. You called your brother after that conversation with Alex? Yes. To tell him about that conversation? Yes. All right, so you can, you can hear she's crying, she's fighting back tears the whole time, she's struggling, and uh, you heard Matt Harris, whose uh, uh, podcast co-host was in the courtroom this week and said she was captivating. Everybody was, and look, in a trial, like that, that kind of testimony, it everybody is paying attention because, like, a lot of the other stuff is, you know, it's like ballistics and walk through the process and hear the cell phone records. It's just all, like, a lot of paper pushing stuff. And this is raw humanity on display. And what she just said there, she says, he told me days after the murder, days after his dad died, they had the visitation at the house, and he comes into the room and says, I was at the house 30 to 40 minutes that night. And it was concerning enough for her to call her brother, who is a cop. 
Not asked? Why? What made you nervous? The most interesting part of the story came on redirect from the prosecutor. Why'd you call your brother after that? Because he's a, he's a chief, assistant chief police at Ronville. So I called him. Had that statement by Alex Murdoch affected you? Yes. How? I was nervous. I was nervous. And that was it. Nobody said anything else about it. Also, after the visitation, uh, Alec went to her and struck up a conversation. Were you going to get married? I was, I was planning on getting married. I was planning on to. And had Alex Murdoch mentioned anything to you about your upcoming nuptials? Yes. And when was that? Day after was I'm thinking. The day after this? I'm thinking it was, after yes. the conversation yes. you said. Where were you? At the city, at the house. And uh, what did he say about your marriage, your upcoming potential marriage? I heard you was getting married. I said yes. He said back at um you let me know because I know wedding's gonna be expensive. I said, well thank you. The wedding's gonna be expensive? He said wedding's gonna be expensive. I said, well thank you. Did he offer to help? Yes, he offered, he offered. That's the type of person, a good person. And have you ever mentioned the wedding to you before? No. Mm-mm. Had you mentioned that to him before? No. Uh-uh. Did he have a conversation, anything else about your job? Were you working at the school? Yes, at the school, yes. Did Mr. Murdoch mention to you about your school and your position there? Yes. Tell him what he said, please. He said that, um, you know, if you need a position at school, you know, my good friend is there. I said, yeah, I know, worked at the school, the principal. So what does it sound like he's trying to do? He's, he's offering the carrots, right? So he says to her, hey, 30 to 40 minutes, I was at the house. And the way he said it, that was concerning to her. And especially if, as Tara said on the call earlier, that she's afraid for her life because two people just got murdered, his own wife and son. And if he's, he's responsible, whatever, then he comes and says that. Maybe she's scared. Maybe that's why she says it. Because there was confusion about the timing of the murders. Here, um, well, uh, yeah, let me do this one first. We'll back, we'll play them in reverse. Here we go. This he is came now. Over on the night. Sorry, this is now the defense, Jim Griffin, questioning her. He came over on the night of June the 7th. Uh, and you said it was somewhere between 8.30 and, and 9.30 in the evening? Yes. And uh, that's. That's just your best estimate of when he got there, is that yes. right? Yes. And I think you testified that he was there, in your estimation, 15 to 20 minutes? Yes. Now, when you said 15 to 20 minutes, are you talking about 15 to 20 minutes in the room with Ms. Libby or on the property the whole time? On the property the whole time. Thank you. Okay. Well, now, you said it took you about five minutes to, um, to let him in, is that right? Yes. So um, are you including the five minutes it took him to let him in in your 15 to 20, or could he have been on the property 25 minutes? 20 minutes, only that is no. the whole time. So. And you would agree that Alec Murdoch would visit his parents frequently, right? Yes. And he would always come over more so than any other sibling. Oh, right? yes. He's the best son ever. 
Maybe not a great husband and dad, but best son ever. Like he would visit his mom all the time. How fantastic. Um, and then he also got her to say, when you said that they're good people, and who were you talking about? And she said, Alec Murdoch. So, again, I think there's room for confusion in listening to her testimony. So, I, I, like, she's compelling, and what she said, like, there's going to have to be some more supporting evidence to kind of shore that up. Just my, yeah, just my take. But whatever that's worth. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, tonight, State of the Union, join us on the WBT Facebook page. Brett Winterbull and I will be... Uh, we'll be commenting. We'll be, I'll be snarking. I don't know what Brett's going to do. We haven't even talked about it. But we're going to be watching it. You can watch it with us on the live stream. And... Uh, Maybe we call it the peanut gallery or something. I don't know, but it should be fun. <laughs> I think it starts at like nine. So head on over to the Facebook and uh, get to the WBT page. There should be an alert that pops up there and you'll be able to click the link and away we shall go uh, to watch the State of the Union. Alrighty, so uh, at the Alec Murdoch trial yesterday afternoon, the caregiver for Alec's mother, Shelly Smith is the caregiver's name. She took the stand. She's basically his alibi. And she said that he was there like 20 minutes the night of the murders. And a couple days afterwards, he told her, hey, I was there at the house with you 30 to 40 minutes. She said this made her nervous, so nervous that she called her brother, who is a assistant police chief in another town. And nothing more was said of that. I don't know why, but nothing more came of that. He then showed up a couple of days later. This is where he brought in the blue tarp or the blue rain jacket. Not sure. But he shows up at that house and he, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, this was at the, uh, the, uh, the funeral where he says to her these questions about her wedding and her job suggesting, hey, I might be able to do something for you, you know, if I was there 30, 40 minutes. That's the indication, right? Like, I can help you here. Well, I guess other than Monday, you had another conversation with him where you just brought up the fact that you were going to get married. Like you said, that was a different day, right? Yes. And, and he was just being nice, wasn't he? Yes. I think you used the word good person. A good person, yes. Who were you referring to when you testified in response to the question by Mr. Meadows that someone's a good person? Mr. Alex Murdoch. Okay. There you go. See what I mean? Confusing, conflicting. Which story of hers do you believe? I think the emotion that she showed conveys, I think, the most important piece of information, I think. But I don't know. As for the jacket, I think it's a wash. This is, or the tarp, I don't know. It's coming in, as Matt Harris told us at the beginning of the hour. It's now It, it will be admitted into uh, evidence. The jury will get to see the report that uh, SLED generated on the gunshot residue that's on the inside of this. They call it rain jacket, but it's like this really big blue poncho. Now, what did Shelly Smith see Alec Murdoch enter the house with? A couple of weeks later, he shows up and he goes upstairs 
and he and she saw him carrying some blue tarp like material. And so she doesn't tell anybody this until like September, I want to say. She gets into a car accident talking to the cop on the side of the road. She tells him that she saw this just in conversation. Cop tells Sled. Sled shows up. They go upstairs into the house and they get the uh, they find the tarp and they find this poncho. They test the poncho, not the tarp. And the poncho comes back with gunshot residue. This is what they are now going to be allowed to admit. I don't know what the theory of the case holds for this. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know what the connection there is that he wore the poncho, shot them, killed them, hosed himself off at the kennels and then threw away the murder weapons and the clothing and the shoes, all of it, except for the poncho. Or did he wrap stuff up in the poncho, dispose of that and then keep the poncho again? I don't understand why the poncho would suffer a different fate than all of the rest of the evidence. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.